Howdy, this episode of Pipeline Things, again, a lot of fun. Let me ask you, how do you like your steak? Are you an A1 person or are you an A5 person? Do you know what's at stake? Because <laughs> that's what we get into here when we talk about IMU, bending strain. It's a great follow-up to the previous episode. Christopher does a great job kind of stealing the host role from me and asking some really <laughs> great questions. A lot of fun. There was a bell ring in the middle of it. All sorts of crazy shenanigans. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoy this episode. Good afternoon, morning, whatever time zone you might be in. Welcome to today's episode of Pipeline Things. I am your host, Thing 20. Mm. This is my co-host, again, not lesser in prominence, but in stature, Thing 21, Thing 20 fun. What is it now? Is it Thing 21? Is it Thing 20 fun? I, I think it just depends on the environment. Mm. You know, I think if we're here, maybe it's Thing 21. Out there. But out there, you I think, think it's 20. Thing 20 fun. Uh, I yeah. agree. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know if we'll get any... Uh, any uh, verification of that, but you know, that, that's that's my position. Well, hey, I'm excited to be with you guys today. I think we have a fantastic episode following up on last episode. So, you know, before we get too deep, uh, I do want to make a note that you really, before you jump into this episode, uh, we got a little deep last time in IMU. Uh, we're going to back that up for you a little bit, only at a high level. So I'd highly recommend you listen to the previous episode before you jump into this one and we get deep. But before then, man, oh gosh, the weather has been fabulous this week, Chris. Are you enjoying Texas spring? We only get about maybe four weeks of this. I, I will I will admit, we just, we just got back from a, a beautiful place and... Surprisingly, the weather is fantastic year-round at that place in, in Houston. But I have no doubt that wherever it is you go, you always have weather-related problems. I hope you don't bring that to no, Houston. No, so it's yeah, no. The fabulous thing is, so we were in Cali this week. Mm -hmm. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. The weather followed us right up to the plane. Right, we were sitting in the airport with hail falling behind us. The plane was delayed. Yeah. It was real. It was real. And then we landed in California, and, and there was it was, and everything. It was and everything was great. Yeah, you know, I, and uh, you so know, apparently, if I want to escape weather for me, my family, go to, and my go to California, my vehicles, and then bring that weather back with yes, us. And we did. So, what was what was some of the, the the best parts of it? What 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 did you enjoy? You know, I know, I know, you thought it was funny, and I know I nerded out pretty hard <laughs> on the the Bay Bridge, the San Francisco Bay Bridge. Yes, but I'm sorry, from a structural engineer, and, and many of you may not know that I'm a structural engineer. That thing is a masterpiece. The fact that it was designed by hand, and I'm sitting there looking at those he, he giant... Did, he did get really excited. He said, oh. can you believe these engineers calculated all this stuff well, by dude, hand? Dude, we turned a corner, and we came out, and we were in the fog, and before, I realized all of a sudden we were on the Bay Bridge. And yes. I was like, this is like a golden, amazing golden, golden, golden Gate, Gate Bridge. Bridge. Yes. And um, I just wanted to stop the conversation, because it, it honestly, it's an amazing bridge. It's, it is beautiful in architecture. It is amazing in engineering. So I, I think, honestly... Next to the clients, who I loved, that might have probably the high point for me. What about you, I, man? I, I had three big takeaways. Three? I three. just had one. But you got to outdo me, three. so go ahead. You know, just uh, the company we had was fantastic. We did have some Y'all know who you are, both around, you know, the Southern California area and around the Bay Area. Thanks a lot for the time. The second Absolutely. was, I'm going to be honest with you, I think it was a combination of the two-hour-long walk we had on the beach where you and I got to 
you know, spend some time together and have mm. deep conversation. Mm. Let's be clear. We were walking because you didn't get there early enough to rent the bikes. Okay. But still, it was a fun walk. <laughs> we and almost also, got hit by skateboarders. We almost got hit by runners, taken out by bikes. <laughs> we should have been on bikes. Instead, we're getting taken out by people on them. But yes, I agree. And Sausalito. That place is uh, fantastic yes. in the Bay Area. Sausalito, Sausalito was, was great. Amazing. And the third one was A5. 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 A, a, a5 so a, help me. you know i uh, i think of a1 and i think of a5 when you think of a1 what comes to mind that's Are a1 you talking about the steak sauce the stuff you put on steaks exactly a1 you think of steak sauce what about if i say a5 i'm hoping it wasn't a bad mimic of a1 <laughs> because i'm not real sure right now i don't know help me out what's a5 thing 20 dinner a5 why oh. you stay come on bro it's per do you think they did that on purpose a5 is so good, you don't need A1. <laughs> <laughs> That's a thought. Maybe that is what it is. Yeah, that dinner that dinner was pretty fantastic. I, I have not had um, Japanese barbecue that style yet. Um, yeah. It was it was good. So yeah, for the audience out there who's referring to Wagyu A5 steak, which is like the grade of the steak, it, yeah. was, it's it was pretty good. I'm, so. I'm sure we're going to find a correlation between... Getting hit on the beach and A5 steak? Uh, no. Oh, I was going to tie this to our to our topic of, you know, you only get out of the ILI data what you want, right? And so I could kind of see how if you don't run the right technology, if you don't ask for the right thing, right? So let's say you're not specific about what you want from the data or it's not mm. in a specification, you could end up with the steak that you got to put A1 sauce on. But if you're really specific and you know what you want you're able to get why you type steak results out oh, of what you're looking for. I like, I think it just had like one of those epiphany <laughs> moments. I can see where that might flow here. That's a good time to segue, right? We can talk about what's at stake. Bingo. S-C-A-K <laughs> later on. Uh, but let, let's jump. Let's take a few steps back for the audience and let's go back. So we ended, this is definitely going to come up. I'm smiling now for our, <laughs> because I like where this is headed. For the audience out there, just real quick, a uh, couple of the feedback. Thank you guys. Every Wednesday, Thursday, I'm getting text messages from you guys and I appreciate it. I want you guys to know there is a YouTube video link for every one of these. So if you prefer to see or watch Christopher and I be goons in, perp in, in person, you can do that. Um, or you can listen to the audio thing, but there is a YouTube link out there. And so uh, again, just letting everybody know that, but let's take a step back. So we got into IMU, which yeah. is like, oh man, that's a hot button topic for me. I have to restrain myself. Yeah. Uh, we really did, I think, uh, a good job of introducing IMU. Got a little bit yeah. deep when we were talking about dead reckoning and whatnot. Uh, but we left the audience with a few key points, you know, um, why you should run IMU more than once, right? Because I think yeah. there's a lot of operators that they think it's one and done. Yep. I think we explained that. And then at towards the end, uh, yeah. we got into um, takeaways in yeah. terms of what does the deliverable look like. And I mean, we really only barely opened up Pandora's doc box there, yeah. talking a little bit about the spreadsheet versus the strains. And that's what we're going to pick up today uh, is really this is going to be an episode that's going to be focused on using IMU bending strain and um, how you help that manage the threat of uh, weather and outside forces so you don't waff it up. So you don't right? waff it up. I, so I, dude, I, I love that one. So um, for, for the listeners and the viewers on this episode, um, in, in the previous one, it, it was a segue to the hyphenated dirt merchant where we leaned in on IMU data. And we talk about things like what is strain? Why is it that controlled bending of the pipe is mm. okay and why you can have higher strains? Whereas when it's uncontrolled and it's maybe because of an outside force, 
then it becomes it becomes an issue. And how we're able to use IMU data that they're not all the same types. You got to know what technologies on board if it's a MIMS or a, a FOG system. Um, all those neat details are in the previous episode. So we're going to play off for those today. And I think um, where I might want to start as a as a recap is how, how about a series of questions, Rhett? And we just kind of bang through a couple of okay. them. Okay. Are you going to start back with bending strain? Where are you going to go first? <clears throat> well, let's do this. If if we want to do a bending strain assessment and we have IMU data, yes. whether it's an old data set or a more recent data set, do we need AGMs to perform a bending strain assessment? That is probably the single most common question that I've gotten. Um, and so let, let me be clear. Right? So I think in the last episode, we divided it up pretty well mm -hmm. between AGMs, or I'm sorry, between bending strain being used to determine the trajectory of your pipeline. So physically, where is it located geospatially on planet Earth? Yeah. And then determining what external loads or bending strain may exist on the pipe. Those are two different things. Yeah. When we talk about tradition, tra trajectory, dead reckoning, where is my pipeline? AGMs matter. When we talk about the local curvature on the pipe, they don't matter at all. And so the truth is, you can perform bending strain on a pipeline that has no AGMs. Okay. And in fact, it's done pretty routine. Like offshore, they don't mm -hmm. have AGMs out there. It's yeah. quite common. You can run 50, 75 mile line, yeah. and you can run bending strain. The assessment will still tell you, hey, where do you have places where the pipeline might be bent? What it won't be able to do is tell you where those places are on planet Earth. Yeah. Right. So, hey, my pipeline, you have a very high anomalous bending strain event yeah. at this location in the pipeline as a function of Odo. But yeah. I don't know whether that's, you know, in Spring, Texas or whether or not that's or, in, you know, or we can go another Jersey way. Village. It, it is IMU, which is yeah. normally associated with with a GPS coordinate and a map. Yeah. And so, you know, if you tie the location of it and you didn't account properly for where it is on the planet Earth and you're looking at it, it could be, you know, half a mile off the right away and you're exactly. like, what's going on here? Right. And so it kind of makes sense That's for, it to, for an AGM play. can say, hey, yeah, I have a bending strain feature here. But you want the AGM to make sure yeah. you know it's it's close to where it actually should be. Yeah. By the way, did you catch that Miss Producer yawned during that dialogue? That's how interested she was in that. <laughs> I, I think that's a that's a key that we we have to step it up. We have to bring more energy. So hold on, know. hold on. She is in school, so she probably had a late oh, night. She point. is in school. Cool. Okay, we forgive yeah. you. All right, master's degrees. You know, I'm I'm getting a little salty about that. I feel like everyone around us has a master's degree except me. Chris, you have an awarded earned master's degree in community or in customer excellence. Okay, that's what it is. I need a certificate for that, okay? All right, second question. Um, let's say let, let's say you you do get a you do get a, a bending strain report and it has a ton of features, maybe not a ton. Not a ton. Let's say, let's say, you know, tens of features. Yeah. Um, I think in the last last episode we talked a little bit about thresholds and and what matters. Um, what do I do? You know, if I got a hundred features or so. Yeah. So th this is this is common, right? And I think this is one of the number one reasons that operators have opted to do nothing with their bending strain reports. And by nothing, I mean literally. I've I've had operators I've talked to that said, "Yeah, I ran that once. I got a report back. I stuck it on the shelf because I didn't know what to do with it." Mm. Or alternatively, they get a report back with a hundred features. Yeah. And they just freak out. They don't know what to do. Yeah. So first off, I think it's important to recognize what you're getting in that deliverable. A lot of times operators are, are very much in a mentality of looking at what they get in a spreadsheet. And the spreadsheet gives you a couple of things. It's going to tell you the location of where that event happened, yeah. which is usually larger than most operators are used to because they've got to start in an endpoint. Maybe 150, 200, 600 feet long for a feature. Yeah. Second thing it's going to tell you is what the peak strains are. And then you might get an analyst comment. 
The problem is the analyst can only say so much in that one little Excel box, which usually isn't very much. Behind that, there's usually a report that actually describes what that feature looks like in terms of out of straightness, horizontal, vertical, total strains. That actually has a wealth of information that can help you determine potentially whether or not that feature is anomalous because something is acting on the pipeline or whether or not it's constructed that way. So in that report, there's a whole bunch of additional information in the form of graphs that really help the operator understand what they should do. So again, we wanted to use some of these questions to kind of recap, but also yep. put some depth on last episode. Yep. In last episode, we talked about thresholds and areas of concern. Mm -hmm. Can you quickly summarize those two first right. again? So, yeah, let's go back. So again, so first step is, again, understand you got that spreadsheet. It's yep. got limits. Understand yep. that you've got a report. And if you have trouble interpreting that report, what do we always say? Call, get help. Get help. I can spend 30, 45 minutes and help you understand how to read those plots and take what you need from them very quickly. Yeah. But yeah, then we get into strains, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I talk about strain limits, there's a reporting threshold, 0 0.125. That is equivalent to about 37,500 PSI on the pipe from mm -hmm. Hooksaw. All of that to say that it's about 70 to 80% of SMICE for a nominal pipe, right? That's your reporting threshold. You do not need to take action at everything at the reporting threshold. The same way I tell operators, Chris, are you going to take action on every 10% MFL call in a run? No. No. Because you know that a 10% deep corrosion feature doesn't matter. That's a reporting threshold though. It tells you to be yeah. aware. The same is true for bending strain. So that's what your 0.125% means. So when do we care? When do we care? So let's say everything between 0.125, I can tell I'm not answering this question fast enough from you. You're giving me, it's you're giving me the get Keep to the going. point look, Brett. <laughs> This producer hasn't yawned though, so I think I'm still okay. Um, we're going from A1 to the A5. I'm getting to the A5, which is not there yet, all right? So between 0.125 and 0.2, that's your elastic range. Okay. Be aware. Like you wanna be aware of your corrosion features? Know it's there. Maybe mark it. Yeah. Maybe look at it for reinspection. Maybe be aware if you're gonna do a dig in that area. 0.2 is kind of the threshold where you need to start paying attention as an operator. By paying attention, it doesn't mean you're going to dig it up. But that means that maybe you start looking at historical data. Maybe you start integrating other data sets. Maybe you start trying to understand the cause. Um, maybe you start looking at a prioritization. So between yeah. point 0.2 and point 0.3, I'd say that's kind of your awareness zone. Once you get to point, point 0.3, that's where you need to start paying attention, right? Point 0.3 to point 0.5, it, it gradually goes from, in my opinion, I think yellow to red. And where red is a, hey, stop, you really do need to take some type of action. That may not mean shutting down the pipeline, but it means that you really do need to take some integrity action and understand what's going on there. So let's 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 dig in just a little bit, and then and then maybe we'll take a break. Already? Um, Are you tired? I wore you out with one explanation. The audience, you can judge whether that was helpful for you. You said horizontal, vertical, and total strain mm. are found on the on the visual. Such reports. a great question. You did such a good job there. So, and you then you give us you give us. Um, what I will call a, a percent strain of concern. Walk us through, do I need to focus on total strain? Mm. Do I need to focus on horizontal strain, vertical strain? Help me understand what I need yeah. to pay attention to I, there. Thank you, right, so again, th this is really, uh, that's a great question. So mm. strain magnitude, which is what I gave you, is related to the total strain. That's mm. important, because again, on those action levels I gave you, it has some bearing. But then you need to understand what the orientation is and that's where horizontal and vertical comes in. Yeah. So pipelines, if you look at the construction of pipelines, yeah. there's an order of magnitude more vertical bends than there are horizontal. Because pipelines typically run long and straight and then they intentionally change direction. 
um, but they have to go over a lot of yeah. terrain changes, which is why you end up in so many vertical bends. What that means in terms of bending strain is you universally will get an order of magnitude more vertically oriented bending strain features yeah. that are typically associated with construction, where you're having to fit the pipeline to the ditch, right? And then the horizontal ones occur much less likely because are much less likely to occur as a result of construction. It's more rare for the construction crew to need to deform the pipe horizontally to fit construction than vertically. Mm -hmm. So you have to look at all three, the strain magnitude, then you look at your direction. Your vertical strains, you typically place less Less emphasis on unless you know you have something happening there like a sinkhole or you had some type of a, a depression that formed in the ground or you're at the toe of a landslide but when you yeah. see horizontal strain calls those are the ones that you typically you definitely want to have your uh, your radar going up so to give you some idea if you look at the distribution of strain calls yeah so let's say I have a hundred strain calls yeah about 90% of those will be oriented in the vertical direction. Okay. And 10% will be oriented in the horizontal direction. Now, if you look at which of those are actively moving, 90% of the horizontal calls are typically actively moving while only 10% of the vertical calls, right? So again, I, and think about that for so a moment. So it's kind of like the Golden Gate Bridge, right? Whoa. Right, so it's 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 pipe. I mean, it looks like a pipeline that's that's in suspension, right? I mean, that's, you, what, that's what it looks like. I, I told and, you, and, you were going across. And, and, and you know what? I feel real comfortable driving across it. What, that is actually true, right? So when you look, you don't realize that what what the, what the the suspension lines hang off of is a giant pipeline <laughs> that's actually unsupported for hundreds of feet, but it's behaving as a catenary. Yeah. What that tells you is that pipelines, when they're properly designed, can take a tremendous amount of tension, particularly in a catenary shape, which is how that's designed. Pipelines don't typically go into a catenary shape, but it does mean that, that a lot of times, when the conditions are right, they can take a fair amount uh, of strain. So you left out you left out total. So I, I feel like the total strain. I feel like what you said. I really want to pay attention to the horizontal uh, strain based, you know, features above 1.25 percent strain. 0 0.125. 0 0.125, that's right. That decimal point. Decimal when, points. When do I care about total? Again, total is sort of your first line of defense, right? So you kind of sort them by total strain, right? Mm -hmm. And that tells you the magnitude tells you how concerned you need to be, yeah. right? Um, how bad might this be? Yeah. The orientation then tells you maybe whether or not you need to amplify that concern. So I, I, I'll give you a, an example. Yeah. If you tell me you have two features with 0.3% strain each, and yeah. you say one of them is in the vertical direction, the other's in the horizontal direction. I'm gonna prioritize the horizontal one over the vertical almost every time. Until I go, then my next level is I may go look at those plots. And maybe I start looking at the plots and I understand like, oh, there was a prior excavation here, yeah. you know, near this, uh, this vertical one. Oh, and it was a pretty deep excavation. Mm, there's a high likelihood they might not have backfilled correctly. See, so then you start getting deeper into the data as you integrate the history and it may redirect you. But from a first level, total strain is sorts them out. Yeah. After that, orientation is the second level. Then below that is where you start integrating data and the plots that are in the bending strain report to help you take action. You know, I feel like uh, if I go back to the A1 steak sauce to A5 quality steak, you just kind of gave us like a menu, you know, this mm. is kind of like the order in which you start at appetizers and you go to- I'm gonna tell you to buy A5 every time, baby. And then, and then you go like to butter. Uh, so next I want to talk about, you know, uh, when you need to start carrying and I, an idea of how high is high bending, but maybe we should take a break. What do you, you do? Think? You called the break this time. I think, I think we should I take a this break. This is kind of like a shift. All right, we're going to take a break <laughs> and hear from Dr. Chris Alexander to you, Miss Producer.
is Chris Alexander and I'm president and founder of ADV Integrity and we are the proud sponsors of the Pipeline Things podcast led by Rhett Dotson and Christopher DeLeon. In that podcast, they're gonna be talking about things like integrity management, uh, pretty much anything related to pipelines, including regulations, technology, and uh, anything that you would need to know. They're also gonna be talking about current events. Um, for those of you that don't know anything about ADV Integrity, we're a consulting company. We do uh, full-scale testing. I'm actually here in the lab and really high-end engineering to serve the pipeline industry. And we would love to hear from you. and really excited about being sponsors of the Pipeline Things podcast. Welcome back, audience, to Pipeline Things. We are knee-deep in this discussion on bending strain, and we're going to continue. I promise we're going to finish with some really good advice for you. I'm excited. Me personally, this is my baby, where this episode is going. You're going to end up with an A5 episode. Yeah! <laughs> so the audience has no idea what just happened, but you just heard a bell in the background. So if you've watched us on LinkedIn, you know... When we ring the bell, that means that somebody just got work. So first yeah. I want to say thank you to whichever yes. client it is that just gave us work. We thank get excited. And then second is it was probably David Fudge. The Fudge Factor is probably running around. <laughs> he probably just got another metallurgical analysis. Oh, Heck, he might ring the hey, bell. Hey, congratulations, Yeah, Fudge. congratulations. It's probably, it's, I don't know if it's you or not, but congratulations, I'm not Fudge. bitter about the competition we have going on or anything, it's Fudge, but uh, well done. Yeah, no, so, uh, okay. All right, back on track. Okay, that so, was exciting. I can't believe that happened in the middle of the episode. <laughs> That's so fantastic. So question, right? So the idea was, um, so how high of a bending strain is too high? So we talked about vertical strain, horizontal yeah. strain, uh, total strain. How high is too high? Man, you know, operators ask this question, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a fudge factor thing and say it depends. No, I'm actually okay. not. What I'll, I'll give you is kind of a distribution. There was a paper I presented a while back, and we looked at the distribution of bending strains. Uh, I'll say this much. Bending strains greater than 0.3% are not common. They're only about 3 to 5% of total calls. So if you get above a total strain of 0.3%, you're already in the top 3 to 5% of calls. You get above 0.5, it is exceptionally rare, right? And you say, rep, does that mean I need the panic button? Uh, I'm going to tell you it depends. You yeah. need to understand the conditions of your pipeline to know whether or not that 0.5% level is critical based on the, the materials in your pipeline and the geometry of your pipeline. So, quickly, right, without making another episode, they get something above like 0.3% strain. They say, you know what, this is outside of my expertise. They pause, they ask for help, they give somebody a call. Yep. What is it? What does that type of effort look like once they're trying yeah. to understand if they have a situation or not? Yeah. So what we do is we understand the critical strain limits, right? Mm -hmm. So when you talk about pipelines, you got two failure modes you're concerned with. Uh, one is on the compression side. If you if you bend a pipeline uh, and it's 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 thin wall, so a lot of your gas operators here, you're going to buckle it, right? Okay. If you create a buckle, the problem is buckles have a high but they become very high localized strain events and can develop cracks, right? So yeah. buckling is bad, but that's on the compression side. Right, so think about like when you take a straw. It's not the perfect example, yeah. but if you bend the straw, it kinks. Think about it like and that. And cracks. And cracks eventually. Yeah, and then you're trying to suck yeah. up your straw. It's can't. terrible. It is. It, it is it's terrible bad. when you crack a straw. And the paper straws just kind of like fall apart now. But that's. that's I prefer a paper straw because it doesn't leak as much. It doesn't leak, but then the whole there's actual suction. Like comes, you know. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Come on. All right. So the yeah. other way that that pipelines fail is unfortunately due to girth welds, right? And so what yeah. happens there on the tensile side yeah. is girth welds are almost always your weak link. Um, and the girth welds will just part. And that's probably the most common failure mode due to geohazards. 
and where the industry's invested a lot of time trying to understand. But that the range at which Garth Welch fails varies significantly, Chris. It can vary as low as 0.3%, and to be honest, as I mentioned in the last episode, several orders higher than that. So I want to now talk about integrity management. Okay. Okay. So in integrity management, we need to gather information. We want to understand risk. We want to understand the threats. We then want to do an assessment. And we want to question. We want to mitigate, and then we got to do it all over again. Well. So I think it's fair to say that ILI equipped with IMU is a great way as a lagging indicator, meaning it's telling you what's present. It's when not it's predicting present, what's going on. Yeah. It seems like it's a great way to assess the current state of a pipeline. Yes. And I think it's also fair to say after talking to Alex McKenzie Johnson, the dirt merchant, and about what bending strain is trying to accomplish that when you have forces acting on the pipe, yes. that's what you care about. It's yes. not so much the movement. It's more about what forces are being exerted on the pipe and the strains and then the strains them. that are produced on the pipe. So hook, line, and sinker. And then one step beyond that and what the capacity of your pipeline mm-hmm. is, right? So you asked me what to do. You yeah. need to determine your capacities and then you need to judge your pipeline in relation to the capacity, right? So, hey, my strain is 0.3%. My capacity is 0.42. I'm good. But it doesn't stop there. Mm. The next question you have to ask is, is it stable? Yeah, so that's integrity. That's immediate integrity assessments. But then the concept of future integrity reassessment intervals come into play. Right. So is it, um, what are your thoughts about a seven years reinspection cycle for IMU? Mm. If you get a call, you said 0.2 to 0.3% total strain, you need to be aware. So can I inspect every seven years? Um, God, you know, the question I more commonly get is when do I have to take action on this one? And that's a much more challenging question to ask. Both of them are actually pretty challenging. Well, let's focus on reassessment. I, that, you know what? Let's take, the, let's take the reassessment part off and let's take about how do you manage the threat. Okay. The truth is, if you have an active threat on your pipeline, you have to find some way to provide continual management, right? So when we talk about uh, geohazards, if it's a geohazard that's happening in an episodic manner, Mm-hmm. which means that it's not gradually, right? So you don't have a landslide that's moving. Alex Kitsen Johnson give a good example where yep. you might be moving a half an inch per year, Yeah. right? If it's continually in very stable manner moving in a half inch per year, you can deal with that. Yep. But a lot of other events are just episodic, boom. And those are more difficult. What that means is seven years is probably not gonna fly for you, to be honest. Yeah. And maybe even taking action in a year might not fly for you. You have to have some means to provide continual integrity assessment that might look like inclinometers, that might look like site walk downs. That's where other things that you can do more easily and more readily on a closer yeah. interval come into play. So that, that goes into your, your P&M type, your yes. prevention and mitigation. Let's stay focused on ILIs. Do it. So if we look at a threat like corrosion or cracking, um, the time between inspections matters yes. because of the tolerances associated. Do we have to worry about IMU tolerances if, say, we wanted a pig every six months or every year? Uh, tolerances don't play uh, too big of a role. So, again, I'll be honest there. It's another paper that we published where we looked at the repeatability of IMU at PPIM. And I admit the, the repeatability of IMU is, is, is really good. Yeah. Um, the tolerances don't play, because to be honest, when you, if you have a 0.34% bending strain, for instance, yeah. and it's plus or minus 0.02, 0.32 and 0.36 are essentially the same, right? When yeah. you think about a feature, whether or not it's a 0.32 or 0.38, doesn't yeah. matter to me as much as the cause of what's going on and the likelihood of whether or not it's gonna progress in the so, near future. So let's move into pipeline movement, right? So yeah. let's, we, we could just pick a scenario because there's a ton, right? Let's say an operator says, I, I, I have a legitimate, 
a threat here. Uh, there is movement acting on, there's external forces acting on the line and I'm going to have some kind of interval. We don't have to pick an interval because yeah. you said the tool's accurate enough to where you could do it every month if you wanted, it sounds like, right? Yep. Cool. Um, pipeline movement. Talk to us about thresholds and points of concern. Like at yeah. what point do I need to report pipeline movement? What does that reporting threshold look like and when do I care? So, I mean, first off, we're using the term pipeline movement. I'm not super excited about that. Okay. Uh, I actually prefer strain change because the tools are mm -hmm. better predictors of strain change than they are of pipeline movement just because of the way the integration scheme works and the inaccuracies there. They, they are good if you if you have strain change and things happening, yeah. they're, they're good at telling you how much things have moved. Um, but that's not the primary metric you use to evaluate. You start with whether or not the strains are changing first, and then you look at whether or not the movement is in line with what you expect. That's how you help discern things. But again, um, going back, so I don't like to use movement as a metric because it's really strain that matters at the end of the day. Yeah. And again, where when you talk about reinspection intervals, Chris, it, it, it's everything from regulatory requirement at seven years down to I've had operators running every three months. That depends on your threat, how concerned you are about the pipeline, and really what you can put in the pipeline. If you want to run every year, that's doable. If you, yeah. if that's what the integrity threat costs you. And we've um, seen that. And we have yeah, absolutely seen that. seen that. I've seen every quarter. Yeah. Um, I've seen once a year. There are a lot of operators because of that. And it's fair to say that's vendor agnostic, right? It is vendor agnostic, yeah. absolutely. Um, and to some extent, it, I would say it's even um, technology platform independent, right? So again, we've seen everything from IMU being integrated onto cleaning pigs now, yeah. to running on a full combo tool, to running just on a caliper train. Yeah. Point is, is, you have to understand your system and the threat to know what that reinspection interval looks like. And if you determine, I don't have any confidence or I can't access it, I don't wanna use site walkdowns, I don't wanna use LIDAR, you might be looking at inspecting that segment with some type of a, a IMU mounted train every quarter or every year. Okay, so thresholds for strain change, when do we care? Um, that question is really tough to answer. So first off, you have to get away from movement. Everybody wants to talk about how far can the pipe move. Just throw that in the trash. It's useful to know how much it's moved because that, that, that is something we have an intuitive feel for, but there is nothing tied to says how far you can move based yeah. on the tool running. It's how much strain change. And that's because, and how again, rapidly. just because the yeah. earth is moving or maybe yep. the pipe is moving doesn't mean that matters, right? It, it, it's all about the strain on the pipe. It's all about what's happening on the strain, Got it. right? So, so can it, you give us a rule of thumb for threshold? It, it, the rule of thumb is if you're detecting it as strain change, you should pay attention to it. Got and it. I'm gonna be real clear there. Now again, you might detect strain change in the vertical direction as a whole bunch of excavations. You shelved those because you know it calls, right? So once you got strain change, understand why and deal with it appropriately. If you did it a whole bunch of vertical strain change and you're like, oh, I dug there, oh, they built a road crossing, shelve it, right? If you get to horizontal strain change and you're seeing measurable strain change, now you've got a time in between inspections and you got a rate. That's a starting point, just like corrosion growth rates. It might not be a good rate, but yeah. it's a starting rate. I say you need to begin managing at that point. You stop you, and call someone for help. There you go. Or if you stop. know it's changing, you take action. So for me, if you know it's changing, you need to pay attention. I think we've done it. That's where you want to stop? I think we've done it. So I, I guess what I kind of want to get to is it's, you know, if an operator has, has maybe forgotten about, you know, how and when to use IMU for not just knowing where to go dig, but how to start using it as part of a geohazard program or, you know, just continuous improvement to understand if a yep. threat is present or not, um, whether it's previous data or current data, what tips can you give our, our listeners mm. so that they don't end up having to put a ton of A1 sauce on their steak? You want me to give them the A5? 
but you want me to give it them tastes, the, it's, it's that it's that why you that medium that rare mm. buttery just hits right in the middle <laughs> least was producers not yawning on that <laughs> i think she's thinking she's gonna eat a5 steak yeah, this weekend that's what i think she's gonna happen if she's done a good enough job for her, we should give her some we a5 should. steak we probably yeah. should um talk to chris alexander about that <laughs> so um so tips for, here's my tip, tip. tip if tips you are if you're on the on the cusp of starting or launching a bidding stream program so the first thing is you you, you need to be able to get the data right yeah. and this is a situation where you've got one of two things right so every year whenever you're you're going to your ili vendors in your specification i am adamant that you need to request the high resolution imu data because that's the easiest time for you to get it that's yeah. the data you need to do all these assessments we're talking about yeah independent of whether you intend to do those assessments chris get that data so that you have it on your servers as an operator and you can do what you want with it. Analyze it yourself, pay somebody else, call me, do whatever you want to do to analyze that data, yeah. right? That's number one. Number two is if you need to go back and get your historical data, and a lot of operators find themselves, unfortunately, because a geohazard finds them, and they're like, oh man, I need to go back and start assessing my system. You need to start talking to your vendors, right? And, and, and make the job easy for them. Tell them how many you're gonna assume, bump them together, you know, don't come at them, I need one, I need two, I need three. Hey, put it together, guys, I need all of my IMU data. Is it available for these 50 segments or these 10 segments or these 20, however many it is? Yeah. And, you know, uh, I'd say work with them. You know, for them to go back and get the historical data, sometimes it can be a challenge, but in most cases, you know, it's a couple of hours of work for the ILI vendor to go and pull that data and get it over to you. Um, and it's easier if you give it to them all at once and give them a time frame when they can deal to it. But start getting the data. So as a wrap-up, so that they don't have to go and listen to the previous episode. Yep. This IMU data, or like I like to call high resolution mapping, what does that data request look like? What is it again? Yeah, so what you're looking for is high resolution data on a four inch increment or mm -hmm. smaller. Um, but most of the vendors are pretty close and, and they're gonna give you pitch, azimuth, uh, roll in some cases, and then they'll give you the geospatial Latin long or northings and eastings on a four inch increment. So it just looks like a giant CSV file. And so when you zip that up, it's easy to store. It's, it's, you don't need a viewer to look at it. There's nothing special. Yeah. It's just a big CSV text file. You know, after you take that step, uh, my, my next advice for operators is, is honestly, don't wait until the geohazards find you. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, if you're operating in or near almost any part of the United States, the threat is probably there. At least start ruling it out. So at yeah, a high level- Richard reminded us of that, right? Yep, whether he did. it's hydrological, river yep. crossings, whether you think there's no movement because you're in a desert, whether you're on the side of a foothill or not, a fault line, these things are all over right. the place. And, and so my advice is, you know, just again, as an operator, recognize the WAF threats there, regulatory yeah. guidance is growing on it. Um, and I think you're going to see it increase. And it's, it's easy to, to take a step, Chris, and start just saying, hey, I want to prioritize these lines. Yeah. Maybe this is my highest threat one. Uh, maybe I want to screen for bending strain on that one. Or maybe if you have already done a site assessment with a, with a geotechnical and they said, hey, we've looked at your whole right away. Here's yeah. the three or four sites. It's pretty easy um, to, to go and look at the bending strain or what's going on at those sites. But my point is start to get your feet wet because if, if the geohazard finds you, and then you're scrambling to get data. You're scrambling to get up to speed on bending strain. At that point, you just wafted up. It's you, you did, and it's just a challenge. My heart breaks for those operators because, and I love helping you guys, but it, yeah. it's 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 like it's like drinking from three or four fire hydrants at once. So that's it my is. advice for you. Awesome. Well, this was fun. It was. Fun. This felt I, like an A5. I still, you know, the the bell did it for me. Man, I <laughs> came back in the second half, and the bells got me excited. I'm gonna go find the fudge factor now and ask him if that was him that rang. It, it. might have been us. 
Well, we didn't ring it. You think somebody rang it for us? It depends who got the PO. Oh, maybe no. went, maybe went to someone's inbox. Yeah. Maybe if so. it was for us, thanks. We love you guys. We'd we love you guys no matter what, you know. And remember, you know, what's at stake here? Your your A1 <laughs> or your A5? Go for the A5 on Geohazards. There's a lot more there. But Chris, I thoroughly enjoyed this episode. Um, I look forward, guys, we have more to come. I think y'all are seeing this vein where you have some more gut and more guests in the queue that we're going to bring on. It's going to be fun. I think Alex McKenzie Johnson got such a great uh, reception. You know, yeah. we might have the dirt merchant back for we another round. We might have round. to have him back. Oh, and and before we, because uh, obviously we'll wrap up. It's if you guys question, have questions, find ways to get that to <gasps> us. Whether it's a previous, Ooh, you mentioned questions. It's fabulous. Hey, be on the lookout. A lot of you guys have asked me questions. We're actually going to be putting a poll up or a man, a method for you guys to submit questions to us. And I think we're going to do an open mailbox episode where we just go through. And I don't know if we'll do it blindly because that kind of scares me. Uh, but we're going to have fun on an episode in the near future where we take your questions about any of our previous episodes, about my issues with lightning, whatever it might be, whether or not Miss Producer actually had the Wagyu A5. We'll take it all. That's a good point for us to, to wrap it up here. Thank you guys so much for joining us on Pipeline Things. Mom, thanks for listening. And to Alex McKenzie Johnson's mom, thank you for listening. My mom's listening too. <laughs> moms, thanks for listening. For everybody else that's out there, it's been a pleasure being with you. I'm Thing 20. This is Thing 21. We will see you two weeks from now. <laughs>